It's the final road game for Missouri basketball tonight. How about another road victory? Plus, Max Scherzer's thoughts on Major League Baseball's rule changes. All this and more coming up right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And of course, we're going to start today with the Missouri LSU basketball game. And by the way, speaking of FanDuel, if you look over there at FanDuel Sportsbook, Missouri, a four and a half point favorite as I record this podcast. If you look at that on paper, well, that's a pretty fair line. Ken Palm has Missouri winning the game by four down in Baton Rouge as well. But, and this is a big but, this is, I think, actually a moment where sometimes the projections in the computers miss the human element a little bit, or the human element, if you're an old-school South Park fan. But for real, though, let's look at LSU right now. Let's look beyond the box score. Who has more to play for in this game? Again, last game of the year for Missouri on the road, really the final opportunity to absolutely put maybe one more slight resume booster with an SEC road victory. And let's let's be honest. I mean, LSU took a very similar path that Missouri did. A brand new coach, a whole bunch of no-name non-conference opponents trying to get off to a to a fast start there and well for the most part that part of the plan worked and even LSU got off to a 1-0 start in the SEC by beating Arkansas. But since then, well, LSU has been losers of 15 of their last 16 ball games. Indeed, they've won just one game so far in 2023. That was last Wednesday against against Vanderbilt, by the way. A decent, solid victory there. But LSU has been blown out quite a few times at home already. And indeed, as Dennis Gates was alluding to, the the other Tigers, the Bayou Bengals, they are not totally bereft of talent whatsoever. Dennis Gates said they aren't what their record says they are, and that's not 100% coach speak. I agree they have some talent. Of course, Missouri's going to have to deal with K.J. Williams once again. The big guy, multi-talented, can step outside and knock down a three. That's something Missouri's going to have to worry about for sure, but... Honestly, this is kind of your typical transfer-laden team, not unlike last year's Missouri squad, that has come off the rails a little bit. And now you're just seeing guys like Adam Miller, who at one point seemed like he was going to transfer to Missouri this season. Well, it just seems like a bunch of guys kind of taking turns, trying to get their offense with, with no real cohesion whatsoever. And my prediction is that while LSU may hang in there for a while, in fact, is this their senior day? Let's check on that real quick. Yeah, this is LSU's final home game, so they may have a little bit of extra juice for senior day there at the end here. You never know. 
But to me, I think this is going to look a lot like the like Missouri's previous game on the road against Georgia, where of course Georgia hung not only hung in there, was actually leading the ball game by seven points pretty late in the first half. But eventually, once Missouri made some adjustments, the tide turned, and there was just no real energy or effort by the Bulldogs in the second half. And well, Georgia's been quite a bit better than LSU this year, so to me. I say, what the heck, I'm going to gamble and give the four and a half points tonight over at FanDuel.com slash locked on. And also from Missouri's perspective, well, clearly they don't want to lose this ball game, even though they're almost certainly going to go dancing in March. And it is March 1st, by the way, this is no longer a hypothetical month. It's actually here, but the thing is, I think Missouri is absolutely, certainly 100% in if they win tonight. And of course, as I explained yesterday, the more the years go along here, the predictive metrics, if you will, well, they're having a big impact on where teams are seeded. So if you're Missouri, actually what that means is not only do they have an incentive to win the ball game against LSU tonight, of course, but they actually have an incentive to put some style points on it as well. So if Missouri were to, say, win this game by 20 points on the road, well, that's going to do a lot for their net rating, their Ken Palm rating, and things that actually the committee does seem to take into account. Again, especially when it comes to seeding, not necessarily who gets in and who doesn't into the field of 68. But of course, speaking of the NCAA tournament, I was checking out the bracket project, well, they they follow the 97, one of the, let's just say 97 of the most popular bracket forecasts out there. And as of yesterday, Missouri was in each and every one. So that gives you an idea of where Missouri is sitting right now, regardless of what happens in these last couple ball games. But as I was saying, one prediction has, in terms of seeding, Missouri as high as a 5 seed. They're also as low as a 10 in terms of the worst projection for Missouri. So that's about an average of an 8 seed or so. So a huge amount of range there. Again, Missouri has all the incentive in the world tonight to not only win, but put some style points on LSU. And coming up, you know, a lot of SEC basketball commentators I've really been stumping for Demoy Hodge as the defensive player of the year in the conference. Well, that's actually caused a little bit of controversy among some prominent Missouri fans online who disagreed with that particular assessment quite a bit. So you know what? I want to I want to throw my hat into the ring, give my two cents on Demoy as the defensive player of the year in the conference. But first, you know what? We just got past the NBA all-star breaks. That means it's the perfect moment to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, especially for you new customers who get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Again, just get and download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and easy to use as well. And as you know, I like Missouri, minus four and a half tonight. And really when it comes to the NBA, I think it all kind of comes down to, do you believe Phoenix and Kevin Durant, are they going to be healthy enough? Do they have enough time to 
to get enough continuity, all that good stuff. To me, it's the Suns are bust. That's the first thing you got to figure out. But regardless of what your opinion is on that or anything else, don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. When you go to fanduel.com slash locked on, that's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks for making Locked On Mizzou your first listen every day. Make sure you check out Locked On College Basketball, everything about college hoops in one digestible place. Hear from the big-time experts, insiders, coaches, and players. That's Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And you know what? I'm not sure if Andy Patton and Isaac Shade, the hosts of Locked On College Basketball, I don't know if they have any votes for, say, Defensive Player of the Year in the SEC or any other conference, maybe National Defensive Player of the Year. But I'll say this. I do not envy anyone who has a vote for that particular award because it's one thing to to to, to zoom out, look at the entire nation, and say, well, who's the best player in the entire country? That's not that difficult of a thing to figure out, or even the best player in the SEC so far this season. Yeah, I think Brandon Miller is a pretty good candidate in spite of everything that's happened off the court. For instance, just to pick pick an obvious candidate. But to that point, I think Demoy Hodge is an obvious candidate for Defensive Player of the Year in the conference but man, that is a really, really hard award to judge. It really is. Because while he's obviously a worthy candidate, one of the Steel's leaders nationally, and actually, well, one of the Steel's leaders, of course, in the SEC as well, either one or two, depending on which stat you're looking at, either percentage or total. But I have to be honest, I've never felt all season like Demoy Hodge was an absolute lockdown one-on-one defender and when I think of somebody especially on the perimeter if you're going to be the defensive player of the year I need you to be a lockdown one-on-one defender for the most part now to be fair a lot of this is definitely bias against perimeter players defensively the impact they can make versus inside players but I think that bias is actually fair for the most part Again, it's just, I think, your, your rim protectors, your guys who are massive defensive rebounders, guys like, and again, I'm going to mess this pronunciation up as I always do, Johnny Bone down at Auburn. Like To me, he's maybe the guy that I would vote for if I had to vote. But really, though, again, it's just so hard to judge defense because all we have statistically is blocks and steals. And so often, you know, as beat writers, what are we really supposed to do? Podcasters, you know, people who aren't watching every second of every other game in the Southeastern Conference, we're focusing mostly on Missouri. Well, how, do, how are we supposed to, to get enough information to even make this judgment? Because some of the best defensive players don't necessarily rack up the most steals and the most blocks. But if you watch them night to night, you can see their impact and it's very obvious. So my real point here is not to talk down Demoy Hodge whatsoever because I don't even know if I'm not going to vote for Demoy. Again, maybe I'll go with 
Johnny Boone. Again, I know I'm pronouncing that name wrong, but one of Auburn's best players. But it's just guesswork to me at this point. So it's one of those those awards where realistically, the beat writers for all these teams who are who are voting for it, I, I just don't know how they can be confident whatsoever in their votes. And again, I don't envy that job at all. And by the way, if you're a Major League Baseball fan, as I assume many of you and probably the the vast majority of you are listening to this, are big-time Cardinals or Royals fans or, or perhaps another team, well, Max Scherzer, hey, remember him, a Missouri great, three-time Cy Young winner. Well, the pitch clock so far in spring training has been the talk of baseball to the point where it's actually overshadowed the other new rules as well. I haven't heard anybody talk about the bigger bases or anything else, really. The the limit on throwing, on pickoff throws over to first, any of that stuff. But no, the pitch clock has really been interesting. And so far, it's had the intended effect. It would certainly seem because so far, spring training games are down about 22 minutes from last year. And I've been surprised. Some people have, have argued that, well, wait wait a second. I don't want less baseball. Well, what are we doing here? And insofar as that argument goes, listen, I agree that when I'm actually at a game, I'm actually at a Major League Baseball game, I'm not really worried about when it ends so much. But what about all 162? What about when we get there? Because that adds up eventually. And I want to get back to that idea at a moment. But you're not really losing 22 minutes of baseball time. You're losing 22 minutes of dead time. We're not shortening the game to seven innings or anything like that. We're not getting rid of the count. It's not a softball count where everybody starts at one and one. If you did that, I'd be 100% against it. In fact, I would fight you to the death, perhaps, for making those rule changes. But you know what? I really like the pitch clock so far. From the little I've seen in spring training, the briskness of the game. I just like the pace of it better. I just do. And so far, at least, it doesn't seem like a lot of prominent players are complaining about it. It's certainly going to be an adjustment, but Max Scherzer says, quote, really the power the pitcher has now, I can totally dictate pace. The rule change of the hitter having only one timeout changes the complete dynamic of the hitter and pitcher dynamic. Yeah, I love it, he says. So he's a big fan of it, and he was pointing out that sometimes, hey, he can work really quick, he can work really slow, again, within the confines of the pitch clock, and at one point, well, a batter called time, so he knew the next time they weren't going to call time, so that was kind of in the back of his head. He's like, I might quick pitch him here, I might actually just hold on to the ball for 10 seconds and maybe throw off his timing a little bit. So some definite cat and mouse stuff here that's going to change the the classic batter-pitcher battles that are at the absolute heart of baseball. And from the pitcher, excuse me, from the batter side, if you just want to hear a counter argument from that side of the plate, well, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees says he likes it too. He says, I think you can kind of play around with it a little bit. I think it definitely speeds up the game. Anything that kind of keeps the pitcher moving and on the go and hopefully keep him out of breath, I'm looking forward to it. So that was a different point from Aaron Judge as well. Maybe pitchers are going to have to be in a little bit better shape, at least the starters who are going multiple innings. So again, regardless, 
I'm with Aaron Judge. I've always liked a game where the starting pitcher in particular is moving quickly. There aren't a ton of pitching changes, and he just gets the ball, and by golly, he's pitching it. And I think most guys playing defense, by the way, the other eight guys in the field, I think they like it better that way as well, especially on a, I don't know, a 98-degree day in August or something. I think most guys who are standing out there in the sun are going to appreciate the pitch clock as well. And coming up, Mizzou's new athletic director, Desiree Reed Francois, has a very soft and friendly exterior. But beneath that, I think this woman has alligator blood. So what does that mean if you're Robin Pinchton? Is your job safe? Well, let's talk a little bit more about Robin and DRF after these quick words. Well, around Columbia... Obviously, Mizzou football is number one in terms of fan interest, followed by Missouri basketball on the men's side. And then there's a pretty steep drop-off, although, to be fair, softball definitely has its following. I've been to Missouri baseball games. Obviously, the women's basketball team has its fans as well. But then there's another pretty big drop-off, and maybe at the bottom of the list in terms of spectator sports that you might consider going to is Missouri tennis. So, in terms of irrelevancy, you'd think, well, maybe tennis isn't a big priority for Desiree Reed-Francois, right? Well, just a few days ago, though, a change has been made. Missouri, under Reed-Francois, under her about year-and-a-half tenure here at Mizzou, I called her the new Missouri AD. I guess she's not really so new anymore. Her second year here, her second academic year anyway, her certain second year on the sports calendar. But yes, Missouri last week fired tennis coach Chris Wooten. And I thought that was a pretty interesting move. And even more to the point, Dave Matter during his chat over at the Post-Dispatch had some interesting comments that I think are going to relate Actually, the Missouri head coach of the women's basketball team, Robin Pinchton. Here's what Dave had to say. This is about the tennis program. From what I've been told, it was never an ideal setup. Wooten was promoted to interim head coach in 2020 during the early stages of the pandemic, then promoted to full-time a year later. But about two months before the AD was fired, then he had a pretty poor season last year. The program is fairly irrelevant at Mizzou. Reed Francois doesn't go for irrelevant. I imagine she wants to see a more competitive program, even if that means a mid-season coaching change. But it is indeed odd timing. He had another year plus on his contract. Now that last sentence there, that, not only the part about Francois doesn't go for irrelevant, but also he had another year plus on his contract. Well, that's where if I'm Robin Pinchton, I'm suddenly getting a little bit nervous. Because if that's the case, you see, my argument was, well, I'm not sure that going for another women's basketball coach, paying a buyout, I'm just not sure that amount of money, the juice is worth the squeeze. Is that going to suddenly, I don't know, increase significantly the interest in women's basketball next year? Well, I'm just not so sure that Desiree Reed-Francois looks at it that way, especially, again, if a program that's certainly less relevant than the women's basketball program, the Missouri women's tennis program, 
if that's the kind of move she's going to make here and be aggressive and be the type of person that I think she is in terms of looking at every detail and trying to make every program as good as it can be, make the fan experience better. I think that's something we've obviously seen at Mizzou Arena and for O'Field the last couple of years is improvements in the fan experience. Well, if that type of eye for detail that she and her staff and administration apparently has, well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised if, again, a person like Conzo Martin, she's willing to buy him out and say, see you later, a person that she had a personal relationship with coming into this. Again, there's some alligator blood with this woman. She is not messing around. And I tell you, I appreciate it. She sounds like she's even more aggressive than I would be. So you know what? Good on you, DRF. In DRF, I trust. That's for sure right now. Whatever she's down with, I'm pretty much going to go with it at this point, especially after getting Dennis Gates in the fold. But you know what? Once again, thanks for listening here on Locked on Mizzou today, and be sure to check out Locked on College Basketball on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou. Locked on Mizzou.